Welcome to Season 9 of American Political History, Wars Within Wars, The Grievances of the Amacy. Between 1670 and 1715, it is estimated that somewhere around 50,000 native slaves were sold in Charleston markets. Most would be exported into the English world. During that time period, the Yamasee were one of Carolina's closest allies and primary supplier of native slaves. Little records remain of the highly profitable native slave trade because it was technically done outside the purview of Whitehall. This was in contrast to the African slave trade, which was highly regulated, heavily taxed, with monopoly rights long established for the Royal African Company. The close relationship with the Yamasee would erupt into violence because of multiple long-standing grievances toward South Carolina. The first grievance started as something actually potentially beautiful. The closeness of the two cultures opened the opportunity for cross-cultural marriages. Native women were often arranged to be married to Carolina merchants. The Yamasee saw these unions as valuable diplomatic opportunities, the kinship relationships would allow for more loyal trade partnerships. The native wives anticipated that her children would belong to her lineage and fall under her cultural authority. Traditionally in Yamasee culture, the mother and her siblings would raise the children. Male figures in the child's life would be the mother's brother and not necessarily the child's father. This would bring conflict when the English fathers would demand that their children be sent for schooling in Charleston. English husbands thought their rightful place was to manage their offspring's future, who would carry their family name. These issues would have been manageable, if not for the violence too often perpetrated by the Carolina merchants against their native wives, and for that matter, against native women in general. A few egregious examples of this behavior was Alexander Nichols, who was reported to have beat his wife so badly that she died with child. John Musgrove got embroiled in a dispute at a Yamasee village, the matriarch decided that his punishment would be stripping him of his native wife. He then threatened in reaction to kill the village Sachem's wife. The second grievance had to do with different cultural concepts for the collection of debt. In the Yamasee culture, warriors would be called upon to repo goods from those in society who had not contributed to the communal labors. Carolina merchants often took it upon themselves to repo goods from natives when they failed to pay debts. This would become a grievance when the Carolina merchants would repo goods that were considered community goods and not individual goods. On the eve of the war, native debt was at an all-time high, and the Indian agents that were supposed to be arbiters of these disputes always sided with the merchants and English debt law. The third grievance was the most common claim before the Indian Trade Commission. These grievances were born out of the ambiguities in the process of transforming a human from free to property. The Yamasee themselves had no moral issue against slavery or the slave trade. They fully participated as slavers, long partnering with South Carolina to sell their captives and becoming wealthy from the trade. The grievance was about controlling which slaves would be sold to Carolina and which remained with the Yamasee. The Carolina Assembly had passed legislation which required captives to be held for a period of three days in Charleston before they could be processed and exported. This time was allocated so that Yamasee, often their matriarchs, could decide which captives were to be sold to Carolina merchants and which the Yamasee would keep for themselves. This often meant the most valuable slaves were out of reach of the merchants, so they began to work around these rules, using whatever means were at their disposal to purchase captives outside the oversight of the commission and its Indian agents and outside the control of the Yamasee. The fourth grievance 
was about broader economic forces which forced the trade relationship to become one-dimensional and solely focused on the slave trade. The other commodity that natives sold to English colonies was that of animal furs and pelts. There was a three-year census in South Carolina. From 1699 to 1701, the colony had purchased 3,373 beaver pelts, 3,675 fox furs, 1,228 otter pelts, 529 large cat skins, and 2,460 raccoon skins. By 1710, only beaver pelts were exchanged and the value of them had collapsed. The fur trade was based on the whims of fashion in Europe. As fashion's trends changed, there was no market for particular furs and the prices collapsed. Iroquois diplomats had offered to send their best hat to King William himself in hopes that he would wear that hat and bring furs back into fashion. The Carolina hat, a deerskin hat, did come back into fashion for a few years, before it faded from European markets at the beginning of 1715. The problem that was unique to the South was that the only non-fur commodity Carolina was interested in purchasing was slaves. This meant that a collapse of furs put enormous economic pressure on native nations to capture more slaves in order to just maintain their same level of economic wealth. It was said that the Creek and Yamasee had been raiding so deep into Florida that they had driven the natives to the very edges of firm land. And without weaker nations to prey upon, the Creek and the Yamasee had to choose if they were willing to enslave those that they considered distant ethnic cousins. Compounding this, was that after the Tuscarora War, northern colonies had banned the importation of Carolina slaves. This caused the price of a Carolina slave to collapse itself, meaning Carolina merchants were offering insultingly low prices for Creek and Yamasee to enslave their distant cousins. And just as with any economic recession, which this was, those that were owed money, the Carolina merchants, started using harder tactics to collect those debts. The last grievance was a military diplomatic blunder. The Carolina Assembly decided to build a fort just outside of Port Royal. The problem was that the only strategic reason to build a fort there would be for the defense of the Carolina colony against its neighboring friendly native nations. This indicated to the Yamasee sachems that South Carolina was making preparations for war with them. On April 14, 1715, the Yamasee welcomed a group of South Carolina delegates to their principal town of Pocatelico, 60 miles south of Charleston. The Carolina delegation had come to discuss the Yamasee's grievances and to reassure the nation of Charleston's continued friendship and alliance toward their people. The evening's talks went well, and everyone went to bed amicably. In the dawn light, the Yamasee killed the majority of the delegation. They spent the remainder of the day torturing those unfortunate enough to have survived the morning's attacks. When the tortured would cry out, My God, in agony, the Amasi warriors would dance around them, mocking them, shouting back at them, Oh my God, oh my God. But the Amasi's rage was saved for Thomas Narney, the Indian agent who was in charge of the delegation and arbitrating disputes between Carolina merchants and the Yamasee nation. They punctured him with wooden stakes, which they used slowly to roast him to death over several days. These once allies were now at war. Thank you for listening to this episode of American Political History. If you want to support the show, please subscribe and leave a five-star rating, and share the show with someone you think would enjoy listening. Thank you again, and until next time.